Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the world's most powerful fitness and health coach. Whoop isn't just another fitness wearable. It's designed to provide personalized and actionable data based on your body. That personalized component is what drew me to it. I hadn't seen that offered before, and I think it is so genius. I mean, it should all be personal. We are too different to do the same thing as our roommates or partners. Wake up each morning with a personalized recovery score based on the quantity and quality of your sleep, your heart rate variability, your respiratory rate, and other critical vital signs. Whoop then coaches you through your day and provides recommendations on how hard you should push yourself based on your recovery. I love being able to check my recovery score each day. I do so well with data and numbers and seeing visible results of hard work really keeps me motivated. And again, that personal aspect makes the results impactful. Whoop also just released their all new 4.0, which is 33% smaller and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. Go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com and use code WIT at checkout to save 15% today. Whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com and use code WIT at checkout to save 15% today. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Hello. Welcome back to me. I'm back home, back in LA. Feels so good to be back today. Yesterday, Monday was not so good. I was super drained and exhausted from a weekend full of parenting after a week off of parenting. I feel like such a brat even complaining about that. 72 hours of full on sunny is a lot. It's just a lot. And he talks a lot now and he asks me a million questions and he says my name nonstop and it's so cute and I'm obsessed with him and I'm obsessed with his little personality and I want to talk to him nonstop. But he starts every question with mommy, mommy, mommy. It's like more like that, like one mommy. Oh my God, mommy. I'm sure a lot of you feel me on that, but he is such a little cutie miss him right now. I'm excited for this episode today. I just recorded it. It's super great. Allie Weiss is so awesome. I like want to go to drinks with her and be friends with her. We exchange cell phone numbers. That's how much I enjoyed talking to her. 
this felt like a really good first date. Let's get into a little bit about her. Allie is an ex-wellness blogger turned investigative journalist and comedian whose reputation as basically the Bukowski of hashtag wellness has now emerged into the princess of taboo. Across various forms of media, the New York native is known for sharp, unapologetic social commentary and a willingness to dive headfirst into so-called forbidden topics. I admire this so much. As soon as I learned about her, I thought she would be a fascinating guest and someone very like-minded, someone who is not afraid of being vulnerable. Ali's podcast, Tales of Taboo, is an anonymous confessions show investigating and celebrating what happens behind closed doors with subjects ranging from the fashion and sex industries to sorority culture to drug addicts and dealers. Let's dive in. Here is Ali. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in New York, okay. downtown in Greenwich Village, which is like the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it, like it was a blessing and a curse, right? Because in some ways, I nothing ever struck me as like abnormal. And I think now as an adult, like that's informed who I am and my work so much. But just growing up in a place where like everyone is accepted for who they are, it, it was like utopia, despite the fact that like we had homeless problems and crack problems and like it could be scary to walk to school. Like and not to say it wasn't chaotic, but like within that chaos, there was so much like radical acceptance, which I think is a really beautiful thing and hard to find. Totally. On the flip side, I was like an adult by the time I was 15. Like yeah. I started clubbing when I was 15 same, years old. Same with my husband. So my husband is from New York too. And I feel like I'm probably getting this wrong, but I feel like he said he did acid at like 13 years old. Oh yeah. Something. 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. That was what we do. We just all get together in the park. Where'd you go to college? Southern California. Oh my God. Where? Yeah. I went to Chapman. Oh my God. I know Chapman. One of my best friends yeah. went to Chapman. What did you study in college? Theater. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. And broadcast journalism. Oh my God. Okay. And did you want to be an actress? Yeah. hundred percent. I was like, I'm going to go to college. I was delusional at that point too. I was like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to like get a job on the CW while I'm still young and hot, just like some dumb TV show and use it as a platform to like do whatever I want, which is ultimately theater. Like also only like a 16, 17 year old from New York City would have that kind of life plan for themselves at that age. But I ended up actually really crumbling when I was at college, like mm. as grateful as I am for, for the experience mm-hmm. looking back on it all these years later, when I was actually there, it was probably the worst bout of depression that I've ever had. Largely because I felt like such an alien, not just in the fact that there was like no one else from New York, but just culturally, like New York and, and Southern California are very different. Like even LA and New York are very different. And I just felt so misunderstood, so lost. I went through a bad breakup. I had a crappy relationship with my body, substance abuse, just like all of the usual things. So I ended up moving back home to New York and diverting away from my life plan. And I think that's natural to happen in your 20s, like to divert away from the plan you have when you're 17. But that's ultimately why I got into this strange world that I'm in now of working in digital media, podcasting, the subcultures, the taboo, all that. It really stemmed from me leaving home and going to this place where I felt like the odd girl out and trying to cope with that by finding other people who felt like the odd people out in in normal 
society. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. It totally makes sense. It feels, I mean, at 16 and 17, you think you, you have this vision. I mean, I thought that I wanted to be an actress too. Like I remember Julia Roberts winning her Oscar and being like, oh my God, that's going to be me one day. Yeah. And then yeah. I feel like there were little hints of, of that personality in me, like that kind of like performer. I never really acted. Like I didn't actually want to be an actress. I didn't know what I wanted to do though. And so I feel like I sort of manifested this reality TV thing where it was like, I could be myself, but I was on a TV show and that yeah. felt comfortable to me. I'm so with you on that. It's weird though. Like when people ask you what you do, what do you say? I mean, like I say, how much time do you have? Because there's no, there's no easy answer for it. I mean, I think in short, I'm an on-air host and a writer. Yeah. That kind of encompasses like everything I do. Yeah. And at certain times, I've been more of a performer or I've been more of kind of like a new wave journalist. But I'm hesitant to describe myself as a journalist, honestly, because A, I'm like not qualified to like do that kind of serious work. And secondly... I'm I'm going into these environments, like submerging myself in these environments that I'm talking about mm -hmm. as opposed to like reporting on them objectively. Mm -hmm. For me, it's all about the experience. And I'm also like tremendously biased in, you know, the types of stories I want to tell and whose submissions I'm accepting for my podcast. Totally. So it's easy to call myself like a quote unquote investigative journalist. And in some ways I think it's relevant, but a lot of emotion is behind everything that I do. A lot of the search for a bigger meaning, a desire to make people laugh a desire to make people feel like they have a community and they could be accepted. So it's it's not so cut and dry. Totally. It kind of shape shifts depending on whatever I'm working on totally. at that time. Yeah, no, I'm so with you. I hired someone new on the team yesterday and she was like, what are your goals? Like, what do you, what are some of the things after being an influencer that you really want to do? And I was like, uh, I don't yeah. know. Like, no, no. Every day it changes, you know, and I like have my hands in all these different pots. And I'm, I like you, like same could, I don't want to say I'm just like an influencer. I'm in digital media because I feel like that puts me in a box. I totally get that. And I feel like there's also a little bit of insecurity that comes from that. Cause I feel like mm -hmm. haven't fully reached that point that people feel like what I do is legitimate enough. I don't know if you ever feel that way as 100%. well. I'm so happy you brought that up because I think it's a really weird thing, like a weird position to be in when you make a living off being yourself, yeah. especially when it's about your personality and not just like your brand or the types of like photography content you could put out or like what outfit you're wearing it's when like you really have a massive audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Like whether you have a small but mighty audience like mine or a massive one like yours with like national, international recognition, when you become known for being yourself, it's like, how rewarding is that? But also at the same time, you have like nonstop imposter syndrome. Exactly. And you're like, I don't have a thing, right? Like I don't have a specialty. Right. But on the flip side, like I also think that it's kind of more people should think like this because it's not fair to say to ourselves that the thing that we're interested in doing for a living when we're 22 has to be the thing that we do when we're in our 40s. Right. I don't think that's how human beings work. I think we're constantly shape-shifting depending on what's happening in our lives, what we're exposed to. So I'm with you. I feel really insecure about it. I feel like such a fraud more often than not. But I think that the more people like you and I stand up and say and like, say that, hey, yeah. there's as much value in this as there is being an artist or a traditional performer or a, a lawyer or a banker, whatever it is, it's, it's helpful for people to see that like, 
we don't have to confine ourselves to like what society says is like a quote unquote real job. Totally. Especially not post pandemic. No, you're so right. You're so right. Tell me about your podcast. So Tales of Taboo, what made you start this? And like, what can listeners expect? I need some examples. Yeah. So Tales of Taboo is my baby. It's the one thing that I've done throughout my entire career that every morning I wake up and I'm like, I am so proud of this. And I think to our point from before, it's because it has so little to do with me. It's like the one thing that I have that's actually me using the platform that I've created and like airing out my own dirty laundry to encourage other people to do the same. Uh So I used to have another podcast that was more of a traditional interview format, like what we're doing now, funny, lighthearted, talking about like issues, but under the guise of let's have a laugh. Yeah. But then I was reading all of this stuff about soul cycle. And I was like, this is wild. Like just the kind of the toxic environment and a lot of the negative press that was coming out about the admin and the instructors. And I was like, let's just go on on a whim here and see if anyone who follows me is in any way affiliated with soul cycle. I thought maybe I would get two people who like work the desk or like used to be an instructor or something. Dude, I got so many people who responded to me, who referred their friends, who friends of friends, putting out the good word. And all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit. Like, I, sorry, am I allowed to person? Yes, so sorry, please, please but, totally um, be yourself. I was like, I have so much information here that I can craft an entire narrative. So that ended up becoming my first anonymous confessions episode, where instead of just interviewing someone, I turned my audience into my interview subjects. And in order to make them feel comfortable sharing these secrets with me, I mean, a lot of them like broke NDAs and stuff because they really needed someone to talk to. I allowed them to be anonymous. And that still to date is my most successful podcast episode ever. Oh my God. I have to listen to that. My my first employee used to work the desk at SoulCycle and she could probably, she probably has a million stories, but, but she did not love it. So you had all these people talking about their experience and they didn't say who they were. Did you have to change their voices and stuff or they didn't care about no, that? No, some of them sent me voice notes and others sent written submissions. And that's the option, the two options that I give my listeners now. If you don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. revealing your voice, even if we don't say your name, don't say where you're from, we can omit any details that you don't want to share. So it was a mixture of me reading out other people's stories and playing the voice notes. Uh-huh. But the success of that episode and how much I learned through putting it together, I was like, there's really something here. And another thing was I chose to talk about mental health issues in my old podcast because I didn't really see at the time, this was like, what, six years ago, five years ago, a, a lot of women who were comfortable sitting down in front of a microphone and a camera and saying, I'm imperfect. Mm -hmm. And this was also in the wellness boom where we all believed that eating kale would fill our existential voids. Mm -hmm. We genuinely believed that, that like going to SoulCycle would make us feel less alone. Mm -hmm. And so I got very fed up with that because of what I was experiencing personally. And I was like, look, if there's no one out there who's going to be kind of that inspirational figure for me. I will try to fill those shoes just by being honest about who I am. Totally. And at the time, it was it was just so taboo for anyone to really express these feelings, but especially women who had any sort of platform. And so I was kind of already on the verge of saying, I think this chapter is done for me in the pandemic and post-pandemic. Like, who isn't anxious? Who isn't depressed? Who doesn't drink too much wine? It's so common. But what we're still struggling with is like 
all the other stuff, like all of these life choices that people make that the rest of us kind of turn our noses up at, or like right. all of this scandal and this corruption that's happening in these companies that play a huge part of our lives. Right. So I decided that I was going to start this new chapter with Tales of Taboo, and the entire show was going to be a collection of anonymous confessions about various topics, jobs, ideas, worldviews. And then every once in a while, if I encountered someone who lived life in the public eye in some capacity and had an interesting story to tell, that mm -hmm. I would bring them on for one-on-one -on -one interviews to basically encourage other people to feel comfortable sharing their own. Totally. Now time for a quick ad break. How is it almost the 4th of July? Honestly, the year is flying by. It reminds me that I need to start planning our summer vacation. We are going on our family tour that we've been doing for the last couple of years. New York, Pound Ridge, Vermont, maybe Chicago, maybe Missouri, all trying to fit this in in a couple weeks with Sunny. But before that, I need to get prepared for 4th of July because it's coming up. This holiday is getting more and more fun as Sonny gets older. And one of the many ways his personality favors Timmy is that he loves swimming and being near the pool. So that will obviously be a big component of our fourth this year for sure. Some barbecue, some poolside grilling, whether you're hosting a 4th of July bash or bringing your best potato salad to someone else's, Macy's has everything you need to make that get together the best on the block. They've got outdoor dinnerware and fun translucent colors, barbecue tools to keep the burgers coming, and the outdoor furniture to seat the whole crew. Plus, don't forget to pick up fun in the sun essentials like swimsuits for the whole fam, sunscreen, which I just got, and so much more. I'm thinking my crew needs some new suits, honestly. Should we match? We haven't been a matching family like that before, but I feel like as I'm going through all these cute selects that maybe, maybe we need to, I don't know, head on over to Macy's.com to get yourself stocked for the fourth. Earlier in the episode, I spoke about Whoop and how I've been using their fitness wearable to help me stay on top of my health. And a considerable part of that is through tracking my sleep. Sleep is one of the most important things that you can do to improve recovery, boost your immune system, and make fitness improvements. When I don't get my full eight hours of sleep, I really feel it. The sleep coach from Whoop analyzes sleep duration, quality, efficiency, and consistency every single night. It also provides ideal bed and wake times to help improve your sleep routine. They have an all-new Whoop 4.0, which comes with a brand new haptic alarm that uses gentle vibrations to wake you in a less jarring way than an audio alarm and minimizes disruptions for your partner or roommates. Decide the alarm mode you want in the sleep coach section of the app, exact time, when you've hit your sleep goal, or when you want to wake up in the green feeling recovered. I learned the hard way what lack of sleep can actually do to you. It's not good. Sleep affects everything. So I'm so excited to try out a couple of sleep hacks to continue to improve my sleep. Go to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com and use code WIT at checkout to save 15% today. Now back to the chat. Okay. So what have been some of your, besides the Soul Cycle one that essentially launched the podcast, what have been some of your favorite episodes? So I try to do a mixture of really fun, juicy, kind of like Daily Mail, Dumois style stuff with mm -hmm. the harder hitting important social issues. So 
some of the more fun episodes have been about the fashion industry. I did two episodes about that. So juicy. I did former employees of like massively wealthy people, nannies for wealthy people, professional high-end escorts, nightclub bottle waitresses. (sighs) We've gotten into it. And it's like, I always make this joke. I'm like, every time I put out a casting, I think to myself, okay, Allie, this is the day where no one is going to respond. You're not going to get any bites on this. That has never happened to me. I always find at least a couple people who want to talk. It's amazing. Just oh people with God. like past lives that they've, you know, brushed under the rug and thought they never think about again. And then here I am being like, hey, let's talk about it. So oh that's been on the juicier side. And then on the more serious side, I've gotten into addiction. We've talked to or I've talked to active drug dealers, people mm. who have dealt with death and the process of grieving, which is a massive taboo, even mm-hmm. though it's the inevitable for every single living thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to strike a balance between creating these episodes that are like an amazing escape from how stressful day-to-day life can be, especially now, but also these episodes that open these conversations that a lot of people don't feel like they can have with the people who are in their immediate community. Oh my God, that sounds so fascinating. I have to go binge all of your episodes after this. They're I want my to hear all the ones. I can't even wait, lie. The, the ones that where you're talking about specific people, whether it's like nannies or people and you know, for these huge companies, do you name names or is it kind of totally up to my contributors? Like if okay. they want to run the risk. I mean, I basically tell them, look, you are anonymous, like no defining characteristics will will be put out about you on my end. But yeah. Yeah. The biggest lesson I've learned is that people really want to talk with, people like do. even if it's stuff that can get them into trouble, people uh-huh. are so desperate for a sense of like being seen and being heard that they will risk potentially getting in trouble if it means that they can feel better about their choices. Or Why do you think that is? I like, I don't have that in me at all. I mean, I, I, I want to talk about stuff in general and be open and vulnerable, but like, divulging secret information feels so foreign to me. What do you, do you think that there's something about the state of our community that like makes them, I don't know. It's like this feeling that people need to be involved or need to be part of the narrative or part of the story. Like what is it? That's what I think is so complicated about social media, right? Uh Social media has allowed us in certain ways to feel more connected than we've ever felt. I mean, social media brought us together. You know what totally. I mean? Otherwise, yeah. you never would have met. And I'm having the most fun. Like, there are so <laughs> many incredible things that can come from it. But I totally. also think because we live in this state of constant comparison, uh-huh. looking to see what everyone else is doing, judging ourselves based on what like an algorithm says is hot or not or good uh-huh. or not, we've never felt more alone. Totally. And so I think all the years that I've spent, as I mentioned, airing out my dirty laundry, not everything, but the things that I feel like I wanted someone else to talk about. So I felt less alone. I've been very candid about those struggles. And I think that's the key is that people feel comfortable telling me their secrets because they know that I won't judge them. And I, you know, there's the huge risk that everyone else listening to my show might judge them. But that's what's so amazing about the anonymity is that it lets my contributors have this like important release that they're not getting if they live in a conservative area or have a bad relationship with their family or are friends with people who don't really understand at the core who they are. There's a real need for this like safe space. And, you know, with the social media thing, I think all of us like 
feel conditioned to share a lot about ourselves, yeah. but never the stuff that actually matters because we don't want to scare our audience. We want to encourage them to engage with us, whether mm-hmm. we have 500 followers of our friends or 5 million. I already feel so comfortable talking to you and I can see how people feel this, yeah, this comfort and this willingness to open up. When you started talking about your mental health and like your struggles with mental health, first, like what were they and what ended up helping you most in working through them? Yeah. So I think that the biggest thing for me, and this is another taboo that I keep saying I'm going to talk about in like a solo episode and I just haven't gotten around to it yet, which is classic, but I have had ADD for my entire Uh life. And Uh ADD, when we think about it, is like something that affects like hyper school children whose knees bounce and who can't pay attention and they get extra time on tests. Or when you're a young adult, you get to take Adderall and everyone wishes they could take Adderall. Right, right. Living with ADD sucks. And I'm not going to take up this whole episode and like get into a whole spiel about it. But adult ADD is something that is not spoken about. Uh And there are so many other things that come from that. Like, a tremendous sense of anxiety at not being able to control your brain. Uh Like depression and anxiety often live hand in hand. And Uh so I feel like I didn't get diagnosed with ADD until I was, what, 25? Oh, no way. Oh, late. So I botched school. This is why I couldn't go to the college I wanted. I was terrible Uh. in high school. This is why I discovered the theater. I just couldn't do school. And no one got it because they were like, you're great at talking. You're an excellent reader. You're an excellent writer. You're just clearly not trying hard. And I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. Every day I'm crawling out of my skin. So what was horrible about that was not just like the physical symptoms of crawling out of my skin or not being able to control my emotions or my impulses, which were all like a big thing, but really not knowing what was wrong with me. Uh I was like, I don't feel good. I don't Uh feel well. And I feel different from everybody else. Uh What's wrong with me? So finally, you know, I got diagnosed and I got to go on medication, but that didn't like make it go away, my anxiety or my ADD or the depressive feelings. I think that the common thread here and like what attracted me to wellness in the first place was like I was doing all the things we're told we should do. Go to a a psychologist, go to a psychiatrist, exercise, eat right, take care of yourself. I approached wellness out of desperation, but how many people approach wellness out of desperation is actually why wellness is problematic. So to answer your last question, there were certain things I did in all those years of exploration of wellness that like did help me temporarily. And there are wellnessy things I do now that I'm totally dependent on as part of my self-care routine. But ultimately, the only thing that actually made me feel better was finding a sense of purpose. Uh-huh. Like you and I were saying earlier, we don't quite know like what we want to do in the long term. It, you can feel very stuck in this space of being online. What do I do in the long term? But in doing this podcast and in doing my woman on the street videos and meeting strangers, telling stories in like fun and performative way, I found something that gets me out of bed even when I'm like, you couldn't pay me $10,000 to get out of bed this morning. And that's really the only thing that helped. I didn't find a solution. I didn't wake up one morning and go, yay, like 20 years of therapy. I finally feel better. I don't, but I found ways to combat it like for the long haul that actually have nothing to do with what we see as traditional wellness. Right. That makes sense. I know. I feel like there's so many things people tell us to do and especially having this podcast, you hear them all, right? There's the few things like you said that come up over and over. The meditation, therapy, 
eating right, working out, self-care, you know, taking time for yourself or whatever. Those things are all important, but they're not going to be the answer unless you have figured out within yourself, like what actually makes you happy and you, you spend your time doing those things. And that, but that's hard though. Cause like so many people don't know what makes them happy or what their purpose is. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time. And that's, that's scary for people. I think that there's a lot of like self-exploration that can be done online, but mm-hmm. I don't think that somebody or anybody can can figure out like what their purpose is without shutting everything off going inward. Yeah, and I get so why true. people don't want to do that because it's painful and it's uh-huh. scary and it uh-huh. takes a long time and it never really ends that process. Uh-huh. But right. I think forcing myself to swim through that muck is the reason why I can sit here now and be like, do I feel totally well? Absolutely not. But have I found something that helps me rise above that 85% of the time? Yeah. 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 And that rocks. Yeah. Can I ask you a personal question? Of course. Are you still on any medication? Yes, I am. Yeah. And I'm very open about it. It's changed my life. So I take Concerta for my ADD. I used to take Adderall, but Adderall gave me like horrible side effects and I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And then I take Clonopin as needed for anxiety, but I'm very afraid of the addictiveness of benzos. So I try to supplement my anti-anxiety medication with CBD and infrared saunas and like magnesium and a weighted blanket and all these Uh other like bougie expensive things, Uh which could potentially prevent me from getting more addicted to prescription drugs, which I think is like my biggest fear. And yeah, so it's, it's so interesting. I... I went on Lexapro. I think it was maybe like it was in the middle of COVID. So I don't even know how long ago it was anymore. I have not felt that much of a difference. And I mean, maybe my anxiety is a little bit less, but mostly have not felt that much of a difference. And my doctor, I talked to her yesterday and she like wanted me to go on more. And I was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. I know that you're saying that this could help. And obviously a doctor, you're saying something's not working, like they just want to up the medication. But I was like, I I feel like there's something else that I should be doing. And I don't know, in talking to you, I feel like you probably have a lot of experience with medication. And I'm just like, should I even be on this? I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm not that you, not that I should ask you these questions. No, We've literally known me, each other I'm for... Like, yeah. <laughs> I should get a t-shirt that says trust me, I'm a dog girl. Like at this point, I actually am. Yeah. Did you did did you you're on only like anxiety medication or did anyone ever try to get you on an antidepressant? So I took Lexapro for a short while. And Lexapro actually really didn't agree with me. Like I'm very sensitive to medications. Uh-huh. When I took Lexapro, I felt numb. Like numb to the point where it was scary. Like I could witness, I didn't, thank God, but like I could witness a horrible tragedy in front of me and like I just wouldn't even care. I would be like, whatever, like I'm going to like go on with my day. Just like apathetic. And then I tried Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin is supposed to be like the wonder drug, but it actually made my skin really bad. I had like a bizarre like allergic reaction to uh-huh. it. And ultimately, I I came to the conclusion like with the help of my doctors that I don't think SSRIs are actually right for me because my biggest problem is not depression. It's not like apathetic feelings or or fatigue or just it's more being overwhelmed by my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And in the past like 
being depressed because of all the ways in which I feel like a failure mm. for like being a 29 year old with ADD. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think the one thing, I mean, some doctors do, but a lot of them don't, right? You say your medication's not working and the first thing that they say is, okay, let's take more. Right. I do think in some ways and in some cases that works, but doctors who are like more traditional doctors don't really encourage you to simultaneously be doing like holistic practices. They don't really tell you that aside from the exercise and the eating, right? Like we all know that we learned that in kindergarten with like a food pyramid. But if you have the resources, Mm -hmm. like an infrared sauna and a weighted blanket have been unbelievable for me. Like setting a timer on my phone so that I can't go on the internet for two hours before I go to sleep has been amazing for me. Journaling every morning, list making, getting a false sense of control over my life has been amazing for me. I think that these are things that, They sound stupid because they sound so small and every day, but actually when you do them all together, they really add up. Mm -hmm. And I feel very lucky that both of my doctors were like, we will give you medication, but you have to promise us that you will continue doing all this other wellnessy shit Mm -hmm. that you did for so long Mm -hmm. because we don't want you becoming emotionally dependent on the medication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes sense, right? We all sit around waiting for the medication to solve all our problems. It's not going to do anything. No, that's so true. It's just supposed to make it easier to like find the strength to do what we need to do to feel better. But, you know, I was just talking about this on a solo episode I recorded today, how anybody finds the time to like take care of themselves diligently and succeed at work and have a social life and be a partner and be a mother. Like I truly don't know how anyone does it because I feel like things always fall. I mean, nobody does. That's the thing. I think that everyone's everyone thinks that they can fit everything in or they're always trying, but it's like everyone just needs to stop trying and just accept that they're, you're not going to be able to do everything all the time. Yes, I agree with you. I think that it's so important for you to, for everyone to have for you to question doctors for sure that are telling you just like more is better, but that also you need to simultaneously be doing all this stuff. And like, I was doing traditional talk therapy for a while and I've been realizing that maybe that's not working for me. Maybe I, and so yesterday the psychiatrist was like, maybe you need cognitive behavioral therapy where someone is actually giving you tools that you can enact in your real life. Cause I hate just talking, listening to myself. Like i I sound like an entitled brat. I mean, same. That's like my whole brand is just me being so self-indulgent. Exactly. And like everyone in my family rags on me for it. And I'm like, thank God they do because someone needs to. Honestly, and even when they, my husband does, he's like, you're, he won't say this out loud because I'm so sensitive, but I know he thinks it, like that I'm so narcissistic. I'm, and then I get sensitive about it. I'm like, no, I'm not, you know? Like, how could you say that? Like, I love everybody. I'm there for everybody. I, it's so... This conversation is so familiar. Just me being like, I'm such a good friend. I'm so present. I'm such a good listener. I really care. And they're like, yes, but you also focus on yourself like 20 I know. <laughs> but then I'm also like, wait, I should be focusing on myself right, all right, this right, time. Right. Like I need to listen to myself. I need to set boundaries. So it's just, it's all that balance, right? It's all like, not and not to say, I, I don't really love the word balance, but it's, it's constantly just like rechecking yourself and being like, okay, stop trying to do it 
all in one day, like stay in the moment and just do for me, it's just like do what needs to get done in that moment and try not to have anxiety about everything else that needs to get done and how those things are going to affect your self-worth. It's just so complicated. Living life in 2022 is so freaking complicated. Even if you do nothing, it's so hard. Like just getting through every day is so hard. And the expectations of real life versus digital life versus what's happening on the news versus having an identity crisis. I mean, it's really, it's insane. And I love what you just said. I think you're so right. And more people need to think this and I need to become more comfortable with the idea of just kind of throwing your hands up and being like, I just can't. I just can't. It's not like defeatist. It's not defeatist. I'm not a failure. It's just that I can't Mm -hmm. because no one can. Yeah, it's It's causing me too much stress. Like it's it's not worth it. Now time for a quick ad break. I am obsessed with jewelry. What woman isn't? I mean, not to generalize, but as soon as layering became such a hot trend that has not gone away, I became free to nurture this obsession. My latest brand obsession is Golden. They have the designs everybody wants, such as that perfect simple chain necklace to wear everywhere. Their mission, make it by hand, make it personal, make a difference creating connections and giving back through every purchase. With Golden, you can personalize various styles. Modern personalization options allow you to create a piece that tells your story. There are a million ways to make it yours. Each piece is handmade just for you. Choose your metal, size, and personal inscriptions to be hand-stamped by their makers. Every piece comes with letter-pressed, gift-ready packaging, a handwritten note, and jewelry care kit. They offer a happiness guarantee. Golden believes in empowering through craft by providing local craft workers in the Pacific Northwest with jobs working within a process that reduces waste, recycles scrap, and increases material sustainability. They donate 10% of all profits and more through special collections to organizations that support our core causes of education, liberation, and community building. And Golden is female-founded and run with a workforce consisting of 80% women. Visit golden.com to find the perfect piece and make it yours. And use code WITHWIT at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. So I've touched on some of the reasons why I love using Whoop and why I'm excited that they're a partner here. But I really want to stress that it's not just for serious athletes. Being a mom, a wife, an entrepreneur, and just human woman is hard work. And Whoop helps me track my daily activity outside of just the gym. I'll get credit for all of the moving I do during the day, even if I don't immediately classify it as working out. Whoop is a wearable, but unlike other wearables, Whoop is designed to help you optimize your performance based on your sleep, your daily recovery, and your activity habits. It tells you when you're primed for a big day and when you should chill out a little. I love knowing when I'm ready to go, but I also appreciate it even more when Whoop tells me to take a rest day. It sets exertion targets based on your body, not your friend's bodies, not your trainer's body, not some statistical body index. Burnout is a really popular term in our society right now, and it isn't just from physical exhaustion. Stress plays a part in both your mental and physical health, and WHOOP is designed to measure the impact that stress has on your day-to-day living. Go to WHOOP.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com today, and use code WIT at checkout to save 15%. 
Now back to the chat. A lot of it obviously is like destigmatizing narratives, a lot of what you talk about. And there's one specifically that I want to talk about because I haven't really heard anybody talk about this before. Yeah. And this was that you pub- that you shared your decision to have an abortion. And yes. I just, I find that so admirable as someone that has been really scared of saying certain things about like the women's journey, about being pregnant, about breastfeeding, about disliking it, not feeling myself. I'm just so curious, like what made you want to share that? And like, what what was the situation? Can you get into that a little bit? Of course I can. First of all, I just want to extend a sincere thank you because you are one of the only hosts whose shows I've gone on who's actually asked me about this. So many women who... I don't want to name names, but there are so many women out there who promote themselves as having like really like raunchy or open-minded or feminist shows, having honest conversations that have checked out my work and know that I've talked about mm-hmm. this, but don't want to talk about it because of what you said earlier. They don't want to like make anyone in their audience feel isolated mm-hmm. or they don't want to lose listeners. And that kind of thinking is so detrimental because yeah. the reason that I chose to talk about this in the first place is because when I was accidentally pregnant and I knew I wanted to have an abortion simply because I knew I wasn't ready to be a mom... Mm-hmm. I went online as anyone would, like looking for first person narratives, looking for personal essays, just getting a sense of what I can expect. And there was nothing. Every essay I found was somebody who was like, sure, they were liberal minded and they were like pro-choice, but it was so sad. And so I couldn't have this baby for X, Y, and Z reasons. My My circumstances were so unfortunate. And I was like, we know that millions of women a year get an abortion. So there must be tons of people out there who simply don't want a child, period. But we are not, we don't feel as though we have permission to admit that. Mm -hmm. The same way that like, I've never had a baby, but I know for a fact that so many women out there are uncomfortable with their bodies during pregnancy, have postpartum depression, don't like breastfeeding, feel like they lose themselves in motherhood. Motherhood isn't like cracked up, uh, cracked up to what they, or isn't up to what they thought it would be. You know what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. These women's issues, it's like we are given this narrative that if you don't embrace being a mom, like something is defective with you. That's so true. And so there's no part of me that wanted to speak about this and potentially get bullied or feel isolated or have people tell me that I was going to like rot in hell, regardless of whether or not I take that stuff seriously, it still hurts when it's coming from enough people. But I thought to myself, if I have the privilege of having this platform where I can talk about kind of whatever I want and people are going to be down for it in my little bubble, but also talking about abortion or talking about mental health or or any of these issues that we're kind of hushed as women from talking about, if I know that talking about these things is only going to better my career and expand my audience and earn me the trust of the people who choose to engage with my work, I almost have no choice. I I almost feel like if not me, who? I honestly feel the same. It took me a little while to get there. I think it's like you have to kind of go through putting it out there first and then you realize how amazing and fulfilling it is to put it out there. But like when I had one of my first miscarriages, I was like relieved and I felt like a monster for feeling that way. I didn't feel, you know, you're, you're supposed to have a miscarriage and be super sad and like 
you don't, you just all these things that you are told or subconsciously told that you're supposed to feel. And like, I was relieved that I wasn't having a baby and I felt, oh my God, how could I ever talk about that? And then I did. And people were like, oh my God, thank God. Thank you. Yeah, there were not more, more definitely respond to like the pregnancy breastfeeding scenario. Less have been as open in validating me in like the, the miscarriage and relief situation, which is totally fine. I wonder if that's how, when, when you started to talk about the, about your abortion, like, did you get a huge level of support? Did you get a lot of feedback from people being like me too? I did get a massive level of support. I feel very like hashtag blessed that it actually was as positive as it was. Mm -hmm. It, not everybody had my narrative. My narrative was pretty much, and I speak very candidly about this in the solo episode I recorded about it. My narrative was like, by all means, I should want this baby. I live a very comfortable life and I feel like I have the resources I need to raise a, a healthy and happy child. But I simply don't feel ready to be a mother and I don't want to force myself to be a mother. That's enough. Other people thanked me for that narrative, but they were also like asterisk my abortion was really traumatic for me or my, you know, it was a very difficult decision to get an abortion, but ultimately I was happy that I did. And I'm so happy that someone else is talking about it. Like I really, there weren't very many women who reached out to me and were like, thank you for talking about this. I actually agree with you that I simply do not want a child right now. And this is not to say I don't feel at all maternal. I'm sure three years from now, five years from now, maybe I'll be ready, but it's just, Nothing in my guts when I was pregnant was telling me that like something had happened to me that was a higher calling Mm -hmm. or like a blessing or that I was ready to be less selfish. And I wondered when I was getting all this positive feedback with the asterisk, I wondered to myself, how many of these women actually just don't want to admit to themselves that they didn't want the child, that it was, you know, familial pressure, Mm -hmm. societal pressure, pressure from a partner, whatever it was. I wonder how many people kind of need to be chipped away at and for us to say to them it's okay that you feel this way yeah right it's and that's what you need to listen to it's so many of us are not necessarily listening to that gut of ours that's really speaking to what we want and like it's just so important and it just doesn't matter if what anybody else does or thinks like you have that gut reaction. You are the only person that knows what's right for you and no one else should have a say in that. And that's why obviously this whole situation with Roe v. Wade and like this coming back up again is just so disgusting because there's just nobody that can should ever be able to make a decision for you about this. Right. The only person who's in your body is you. And I think it's hard, like as women, we're kind of brought up to feel guilty or to apologize. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like when you're going through something that's this universal feminine experience, such as getting pregnant or terminating a pregnancy or miscarrying a baby, Mm -hmm. like it's difficult not to carry other women's experiences with you because you think, how many people out there have been desperately trying to get uh-huh. pregnant and how many people wanted a baby and then got one and had to terminate it because they couldn't afford it? You know what I mean? How many people would have a miscarriage and it would absolutely destroy them, ruin their relationship? Like it's, it's hard not to think about those things. And I struggled with that for months. But I think the conclusion I finally come to is we can feel 
like bad and we can feel sorry. But at the same time, we can only make the choices that are right for us. Like we, you know, I, I had someone in my life give me a really good analogy and say, if someone offers you a cup of tea and you don't want the cup of tea, you don't have to take it just because there are people in the world who are dying of thirst. That's obviously a very tragic situation that we all think about. But if you are not thirsty or you don't like tea, you shouldn't take it just because you you feel obligated to other people. Again, that tea is only going inside your right. body. And then you're living life for other people. And that's what that's then why why you're depressed or anxious or whatever, because you're not aligned. You're not living your life based on what you really want. I think that's really amazing. Likewise, have not heard people talk about, you know, obviously I hear the the abortion conversation is out there, but I haven't heard anyone with like coming out with their specific story. And I'm sure, like we were saying, there's tons of women in our little circles that have felt this way and done this and not talked about it because they're too, too afraid of what everybody else is going to think. And like, they have a right, obviously we all have a right to our own secrets and and, and you don't have to share this stuff. And we were not like looking down upon you if you are not honest about your feelings, but it's, I think the message is just like internally to to really just listen to yourself more yes. and, and yes. let your own voice be the, the most important one. My only hope is that people who listen to the episode and who feel moved by it in some way choose to share it with people in their lives, mm-hmm. whether it's you know somebody who's sending it to a friend that they have who's pregnant and scared and confused or someone posting it on their social media channels. This is the kind of situation where word of mouth is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Because I think that you the best way to, to make someone feel a certain way or show them that there are options is to offer them the material, but not force them to take it. Totally. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And so somebody being offered my solo episode about my abortion or the collection of anonymous confessions about other abortion experiences that I collected, I don't need someone to listen to these episodes and say, yes, Ali, I agree with you 100%. I've lived your experience. I feel you. But in listening to that, you know, I, I want them to at least think or at least realize that there are other people out there who have experienced one slice of a very large, complicated cake. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, I think we as women need to be more comfortable with this idea, as you mentioned, that everybody is only responsible for their own bodies, that we have a right to treat our bodies how we want to treat them. And it says nothing about feminism. It says nothing about womanhood. It says nothing about the progress of of feminine, you know, females in society, feminine energy, like whatever. It's literally just personal decisions. And I think we need to stop feeling so entitled to To other people's decisions. No, you're so right. You're so right. This has been so awesome. (laughs) So fun. I was so excited to to talk to you, but I had no idea we would get into this much. Yeah. And I'm just walking away from this feeling like really seen. So thank you for giving me the same thing that I try to give to my oh listeners. Oh my God. Thank you. I love this.
Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney E. Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.